So we're going to continue in 2 Corinthians, our series on godly living in an ungodly world. And Paul continues to talk about money because money is one of those things that often represents our values. It, rep- it can represent the world's hold on us and the world's stranglehold on us. There was a story of a mom that was trying to teach her son generosity and there was two slices of cake on the table. One was noticeably bigger than the other and she goes to us and I'd like you to take these pieces of cake and I'd like you to give one to your sister and take one for yourself. And I'd like you to be generous with the one you choose to give to your sister. And the son looks down. These are not my kids, by the way. Um, I don't know, he's talking about his kids, you know, just general story. Son looks down, looks at the pieces of cake, looks up at mom and looks down at the pieces of cake and figures out just how much bigger that one is, looks up at mom and finally he says, mom, can you give the pieces of cake to my sister and teach her to be generous today? <laughs> he wanted what he wanted. But how often we, when we come to generosity, are, do we sort of do the same thing? We look at the pieces of cake, and maybe it's not cake for us. Maybe it's certain uh, money for things, or things in the store, or things that we want at home, or, or bank account, or retirement fund. And, and, and we say, I want that. And, and I want to hold on to that. And that little boy wanted to hold on to the best for himself. And today, as Paul continues to challenge us with money and challenge our spiritual walk with money, he's challenging us to be generous, to be open-handed rather than tight-fisted. And we we started in chapter 8 studying that, and Paul gave us some general foundational principles of giving, that it comes from God's grace, and, and that really all of our giving is a response to God's generous grace. And as we worked through chapter 8, we saw a number of foundational principles that Grace giving enthusiastically gives sacrificially, no matter the circumstances. That it's a normal and essential part of our spiritual maturity. That it's motivated by our love for Jesus and His grace. And it turns desire into action. And it's measured by our willingness to use whatever we have for God's work rather than the amount. It allows us to see money as a tool to share burdens and do God's work. And we also saw his, Paul's instructions to make sure that we entrust our money to honorable, accountable leaders and it's not wasted. In chapter 9, he's not done. And so we come to, to chapter 9 and we continue to talk about money. And, and really, he's going to add in a whole number of principles that are some of the nuts and bolts of giving. And so in your notes, you probably see a whole number of points and you're wondering how we're, we're ever going to get through that this morning. But it's more observations that Paul has about giving. And on the front side, we're going to look at a number of observations about the nuts and bolts of giving, the attitude we should have, how much to give, how we should decide that. And, and Paul's going to hit all that in chapter 9. But then he's also going to end chapter 9 by talking through what are the results of giving? What, what, what's the benefits of giving? What, what happens when we give to God's work and we give generously? Because it is an awesome experience. Don and I were talking this morning about the fun of giving, right? And he's like, I think you should have titled your sermon, The Fun of Giving. Because when you see God work in amazing ways, and when you see Him use our gifts in amazing ways, and then supply our needs in amazing ways, giving often ends up with this. God is amazing. God is so good. And so Paul's coming to try to give them the heart of, a, a, of giving, that it's a generous heart, a heart that wants to serve God and then is amazed when God works. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll work through the chapter 15 verses this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one under the seat right around you there. We welcome you to pull that out. Turn to 2 Corinthians 9. And if you don't have one at home, please take that and keep that as our, our gift to you so you have God's Word. But 2 Corinthians 9. And we'll start with verses 1 through 5. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. We'll stop there. I know we're going to go through five verses. But it's interesting because Paul just starts like, okay, I really don't need to write to you about this, but I really do need to, to remind you. But he's going to explain that in the coming, coming verses. But what I want you to catch is how he describes the gift that he's asking them to give. Do you catch that at the end of verse 1? The ministry for the saints. And he doesn't say the money for the saints or, or the, the gift for the, the ministry for the saints. And, and point number one in our principles that will, the, the nuts and bolts of giving that will help develop a heart for giving is giving is, giving to God's work is ministry. It's not a chore, it's ministry. And it's ministry right alongside working in Awano, working in, in nursery. It's, it's a way of participating in the ministry that God is using to serve others. One author wrote that the word ministry here means self-giving service, self-giving aid. And so I just, that's just a quick little point, but I love thinking about giving as, as ministry and that it's part of the general ministry of the church and part of how we minister. But then Paul goes on. If you remember the history there as he goes on, he is collecting and taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem which was being battered and persecuted and they were poor and destitute. They needed other churches to help them. And Paul was traveling up north of of Corinth in in Macedonia to some really poor churches there and they're all contributing to this project. And a year earlier, the people in Corinth or in the region of Achaia had said, we'll help too. And so Paul's writing them to say, okay, let's talk about your promise. So we go on in verse 2. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. We'll talk a little bit more about willingness and and exaction in the next um, section. But here Paul is describing what he's doing. He says, I'm sending some people to you to make sure you're following through on your promise. Because what would happen if Paul had used the, the church at Corinth as, an, as, as his an example, and in Macedonia they gave generously, even in severe need, and they give, and, and then the guys from Macedonia get down to Corinth, and, and they're basing their giving on the zeal and the excitement of Corinth, and they get there, and they're like, gift? I don't remember saying we're going to give a gift. What would that do to the churches in Macedonia? They're like, What? You guys said you, this is why we're part of this. We're, we're excited about this. You're the wealthy church. You're supposed to be the spiritually mature church. And you don't even have a gift ready. Do you see what would happen? And so Paul said it would humiliate him because he had boasted of them. He had bragged on them. It would humiliate the church at Corinth. And so Paul's sending a couple guys. Hey, there's some wisdom here. 
send them ahead, remind them. This is, this is the reminder before the doctor's appointment. Say, hey, you have an appointment tomorrow. Please come. He's reminding them. Say, hey, we're, we're coming down to collect your promise. Be ready. And so Paul is, is challenging them to carry out what they said they would. And in, in number two there, in the nuts and bolts of giving, if I had to sum all that up, I'd say be prepared and disciplined to give. Be prepared and disciplined to give. Paul is, is reminding them so that they'll be prepared when he comes. So that it won't be a last minute thing like, oh yeah. But also disciplined. And the reason I use that is because Paul is reminding them to carry out what they've promised. When we think of discipline and self-discipline, it's often doing what we said we'll do, right? You know, if, if, if I'm getting to, to work on time in the morning, I have to be disciplined because I've said I will by taking the job. I have to be disciplined to set my alarm and wake up and only hit snooze five times instead of ten and, and get to work on time, right? That's discipline. And Paul is saying, let's take that same idea of discipline and let's apply it to giving. You've said you want to help. You've said you're excited about giving to God. Now let's do it. Let's make sure your actions follow through with your words. See, it's so easy for us to get excited about things and say things for the, for the glory a little bit. Hey, I'm helping with this. I'm helping with this cause. I'm doing this. I'm giving to the Lord in this area. And Paul is reminding them, it only counts if you actually do. It's not just the words. And so when we look through this, he's encouraging them to be intentional about the ministry of giving and for us to be intentional about the ministry of giving. Again, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, he's taking a specific offering here, a specific project, and teaching them general principles of giving. And so for us, God's Word is effective to teach those general principles. And one of those is to be intentional about the ministry of giving. Make sure we actually do it and, and not just talk about it. You know, I think about, let's say guys, uh, husbands and wives that are here, you go home today and your wife's just had an interesting day with the kids and she's under a lot of stress and and you go to her and say, you know, I just want to rub your shoulders, rub your neck, relieve that tension. Some of you wives are like, oh yeah, that'd be good. And your husband just digs those thumbs into the shoulder blades and starts to relieve the tension and after five seconds he says, wasn't that good? (laughs) What's your attitude as a wife? wait a minute. Yeah. Five seconds. I just got a taste. You have, you have four more hours to go, whatever it may be. Well, Paul's saying you, you promise something really good. Make sure you actually do it. When we think of giving, when we think of giving to God's work, we can get excited about a lot of things the church is doing. We can get excited about people being reached at Second Harvest. Yesterday, I watched one of our, our members sharing the gospel with a, a man at Second Harvest. It was just precious. And we can get excited about these things and living nativity and support them in our words, but do we support them with our giving? And Paul's saying that's, that's part of the intentional ministry here. Be part of what God is doing. It's not a chore. It's an amazing thing. There's a responsibility there. There's a diligence there to take it seriously. You know, if, if I had to apply this to us and trying to think through how in my family can we pre- be prepared and disciplined, part of that is thinking about giving ahead of time. Rather than Sunday morning during the offering as we see the bag start to go, oh no, what do I do? Oh great, I have a couple quarters in my pocket. To think about it ahead of time, realizing this is an honor and a privilege to be part of what God's doing. 
This is also an act of worship that I can say, thank you, Jesus, for everything you've given me. And we're gonna get, we're, Paul's going to get there. But we need to be prepared and not just take giving as this extra thing that they do on Sunday morning because they need to keep the lights on. That's not what giving's about. We've got to get past that. It's about participating in what God's doing and what God wants to do in our lives. So Paul said, be prepared and be disciplined to give. Those are two of the nuts and bolts. Out of this, these five verses, we also see one of the results. On the back side of your notes, you see five different results of giving we're going to give. Most of those are at the end, but there's one in here that we just have to mention. Did, I don't know if you caught it in, in verse 2. The end of verse 2. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. Did you catch that? Paul's saying your excitement, your enthusiasm about giving helped get other people excited. And we talked about that a a week ago when we were talking about loving God in our home, that passion breeds passion. It applies to giving as well. So one of the results, the first result you see of giving is our enthusiasm for the ministry of giving may motivate others to minister. Our enthusiasm for the ministry of giving may motivate others to minister. It doesn't always. But so often... When we start to see others giving and participating, and we, there, there becomes this atmosphere of generosity, and, and it just gets exciting because it breeds more generosity. Now, now this is a, an interesting point because Paul here is, is using them as an example to the churches at Macedonia, right? But we also have Jesus' teaching that don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing in giving. And so it almost sounds contradictory, but we have to understand Jesus' teaching was a very specific teaching to not bring attention to yourself. He was saying they try to bring glory to themselves, and so he's speaking directly of things that give glory to self. We might use examples of giving, and I've used examples of giving sometimes in our community groups to motivate because those are showing faith. But it should never be about giving glory to a person. Never about giving glory to ourselves. And so there's a balance there that we have to, to not broadcast, hey, look how much I gave this morning. But at the same time, we can share that we are giving. When I'm discipling a young man or a couple, I'll say, you know, Susie and I do give. We, we practice giving. This is how we do it. But I do that in that privacy to instruct rather than to, to bring um, accolades. So that makes sense? Somehow Paul did this. And the, their, their giving, their enthusiasm of giving motivated others to minister. So that's a couple nuts and bolts and one of the results of giving. Let's move on to the, the next section, 6 through 9, 6 through 10. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The next nuts and bolts of giving there and principle of giving is Paul is saying give generously. Give generously. Open-handed generosity is honored by God. We reap what we sow. And there's a harvest. And so he's saying, if, if, you, if you sow sparingly, if you're like really stingy with what you give to God's work, then God's honor to you is going to be really stingy. But if we are generous and we sow, sow abundantly and generously to God's work, then God's going to take care of us. And he's going to bring that back on us generously. In verse 10, we see the the same theme, and Paul keeps coming back to some of these same themes. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
And we see there a little bit of a description of the harvest here. See, what, what Paul isn't promising, what God isn't promising in this verse is that if you give me $10, I'll give you 100 back. No, that, God isn't our, our savings account. He, he's not the, the bank teller machine where we can put some money in and get two or three times back. That's not what Paul's talking about here. The harvest may not be financial. Because in verse 10, it says the harvest is going to be righteousness. A right heart before God. Following God's ways. And, and as we're generous and, and, and generous with our stuff to God, I have found that it helps direct my whole attitude to godly things. To righteousness. This is true. Now, I've also seen so many times, and, and God, if He wills, can provide physically and can provide financially. I've seen so many times people give gifts, and so many of you have told stories of, you know, I, I felt like God wanted me to give this way, and then He provided the extra money, sometimes to the penny, often to the penny. That, it, that it's hard to say, well, that was just coincidence. Oh, yeah, then why was it to the penny? God provides. And so we will reap what we sow. But it doesn't mean we expect to reap money. It's not a formula for health and wealth. That's not what we're about. We're about being so amazed by the gospel that we give all to him and give all to God. And so Paul says the point is this. And that's a, that's a good thing to underline. Okay, this is his point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you had to summarize that, be generous. Be generous. The willingness to share or to give unselfishly. Not just money, but our time, our stuff. And trust that God will reward. In Malachi 3, verses 8-10, through 10, the prophet talks about this. He says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings, your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And Paul's going to go there. He said, God's going to take care of your needs. He's going to pour out blessings on you to take care of your needs. You don't have to worry and hold things tightly because you're afraid God might not be able to handle it. Be generous people. What an amazing principle. One author wrote, Eternal rewards are going to be based on what you give away, not how much you kept. Did you catch that? Eternal rewards are going to be based on what we give away, not on how much we keep. Man, this runs counter, counter to ourself and, and to holding on to things. And it runs counter to, to so many things that sometimes I think about and, and want to, to plan. And, but God calls us to be generous. In Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25, we read, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And so a principle of giving is generosity. He wants us to give generously. Whether that be to the church, to God's work, to each other, to someone in need, to be open-handed. And he'll go on to explain why a little bit here. But a couple of other things. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We have actually a couple points out of this 
This passage is full of, of helpful things for giving. The number four on your nuts and bolts of giving is decide the amount by seeking what God puts on your heart. Decide the amount by seeking what God puts on your heart. Paul doesn't say, okay, I'd like you to give exactly this much. Or I'd like you to give... The, he says, what does God put on your heart? Now, now what's the understanding there? If I'm, if I'm saying, what does God put on my heart, I need to do what? Ask God to put something on my heart. That doesn't mean, oh, you know, I, I, I really only think I can afford $5 today, so that's what God put on my heart. No, that's not what it means. I love a joke about three guys that are trying to to figure out what to give to God. They're bragging a little bit about what to give to God. The first guy says, well, I just draw a line on the ground and throw all my money toward the line. And everything on the right side I give to God and everything on the left side is mine. It's pretty good, right? And the next guy says, no, 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 I I don't do the line thing. I do the circle thing. And he, he draws a circle on the ground, he said, and I throw all my money in the air. And whatever rolls outside of the circle is God's. And whatever stays in the circle is mine. Right? Third guy says, oh, no, no, no. I trust God so much more than you guys do. I I don't draw a line. I don't draw a circle. I just throw it all in the air. God takes what he wants and everything that falls down is mine. (laughs) And we justify how we choose what to give. That man, I know it's humorous, but he justifies how spiritual I am while finding a way to keep all his money. See, if we're to take this seriously, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It means we come to God and say, God, t- this is all yours anyway. All my stuff is yours. What do you want me to use for your kingdom? How do you want me to use it? And we legitimately come and ask the question, not with an agenda, not with a number already in mind, but we let God start to convince us of his desires rather than us convincing God of our desires. Now, this is one of the questions I get asked a lot, though. How much should I give? Should I tithe? Should I give offerings? And, and one of the, the common things that people will talk about is, well, tithing is never as explicitly commanded in the New Testament. And so, well, I don't, so then I don't have to get 10%, because the word tithe literally means tenth, a, a tenth of something. And, and so my answer to them often is, you're right, it doesn't explicitly say, because Paul doesn't want it to be legalistic. Like we talked about two weeks ago, if you're going through your spreadsheet and getting it to the penny of 10% and you're bitter about giving that 10%, now I'm not saying, I go through a spreadsheet and figure out 10%, but, but if I'm bitter about that and I do it reluctantly, then that's not helpful. God doesn't need that money. And, and so Paul resists making it a legalistic um, idea because he's dealing with Pharisees. He's dealing with a legalistic culture that had divorced giving from worship. That makes sense? And so they had lost it. And they were, they were obeying the letter of the law, but they had lost the whole heart of saying, oh, I just love God so much and I'm so grateful that I'm going to worship him by giving him back. And so that's why Paul doesn't say an amount here. And, and so when, I, when I'm talking with people, I, I say, you know, we, the, the thing about the, the tithe, the 10%, and it is in the Old Testament, is that that becomes an example for us to follow. It's a great guideline. And, and yes, in Moses' law, it was explicit, and actually was, there were several different tenths. And, and you gave more than 10%, and part of that was because you weren't just supporting the temple, you were supporting the government. And so it was, 
it was a whole different situation. It was, it was God and, and taxes and government all mixed together. But what we do see in the Old and New Testament are examples of generous giving that legitimately honor God with our stuff. And so with Cain and Abel, do you remember, you remember the issue with Cain and Abel? They brought offerings. And it explicitly says that Abel brought the first fruits of, of his, his, um, his flock. And so he brought the best, the first to God. Cain had some issues of the heart, and we know how that went. We see even moving forward, before the law, before Moses, which is what people use, quite frankly, I think, to try to get out of giving. Before that, we see Abraham coming and he goes and rescues Lot and defeats Sodom. And he's coming back and he meets the uh, Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God. And what did he do? He took all of the spoils, everything he got, and he gave 10%. Not because it was the law, but because he was honoring God. And so that's an example we see in Scripture that is a wonderful example. I think it's a wonderful starting point. Jesus often dealt, several times he deals with the Pharisees on tithing. And his point is never you're giving too much. His point is always you're giving without the heart. You need to actually give more. Not necessarily financially, but of your heart and your time. And so we want to be careful of saying, well, the Bible never says 10%, so my, my 0.1% is good. If that's what God has, has, has put on your heart, great. But we need to make sure it's His desire, not ours. And so I, I just propose to you, I think 10% is a good starting point for our tithes. It's a good example of giving our first fruits to God, of saying, I, I will bless you with what you have blessed me. And then see what God does. See how He provides. But here's the thing. It's between you and God. It's as you purpose in your heart what God puts on your heart. You will never, and, and this is the danger of talking about money in church. It's like, oh, pastor's talking about money. He's trying to get our money. You will never be approached of, about how much you give. I don't know how much anyone gives in this room except my wife and I. And that's the way it should be. It's between you and God. And so as I, as I share what God's Word teaches I'm not sharing this with a hammer. I'm sharing this because this is how God says we have joy in Him. This is how we experience a richness of realizing my stuff is all His and I don't have to hold it so tightly, which always results in difficulty. And so Paul says each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And then the second half of that verse, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And number five in your nuts and bolts is attitude matters. Attitude matters. Give willingly and cheerfully. Give willingly and cheerfully. We saw that in verse five as well, the end of five, as as Paul was sort of previewing what he was going to talk about. He said, so that it may, may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. See, the goal here is to say, I want to give to God. I want to be part of what he's doing. That word for cheerful there in, um, in verse 7, it comes from the Greek word that we get hilarious from. And it's this idea of just giving full of joy. Giving should be fun. This is why Don was saying fun giving, right? Giving should be fun. And the, the idea of hilarious isn't that we stand up and, and laugh wholeheartedly every time the offering bag's passed uh, around. It's an attitude that says, I can't wait to do this. 
You know, we have three kids. Yeah, I have to get a kid story in there somewhere. We have three kids, and they are all so different with money. And one of, one of my kids just likes to spend. If, he has, if they have money in their pocket, <laughs> uh, I was going to do so well this morning at that. If they have money in their pocket, it's spent. And, and some of us are like that, right? It, it, just a little freer with money. Another one of my children is a, a saver. And they will negotiate with us on anything they want to try to get us to pay for it, even though they have the money in their pocket. Because they want to hold on to as much money as they can. And then another one of my kids is a giver. And, and they just will give until they're done and then keep giving. And the smile on their face as they do that is convicting. Because I'm not necessarily like that all the time. I need to be. My kids are teaching me that. This morning, one of my kids, that that particular one said, Dad, I'm bringing extra money for the offering this morning. I just just want to give something to God. I love Jesus. That's what this chapter is about. And I needed to hear that. As as telling Happy, I said, my first thought was, but that's your money. No, it's God's money, and they get it, and I'm working on it. Because as adults, we have so many responsibilities and so many things we want and so many concerns with money. And sometimes our children, because of their freedom to trust God, can teach us what it means to give. Attitude matters. Give willingly and cheerfully. Hilariously meaning you just love it and love the opportunity to help others to see what God is doing. Generosity with this kind of attitude also doesn't complain when giving. It freely gives. In Deuteronomy 15:10, you shall give to him freely, speaking of someone in need, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you and in all your work and in all you undertake. Now, what do you do if the heart's not there? That, that's not an excuse to disobey God and to, to not honor Him with our stuff. The first step is to confess that. Because if the heart's not there, then that's a heart issue that is a sin issue. And, and we need to repent and say, God, I want a different heart of generosity. Help me. And He will do that. Tight-fistedness is never cured by holding something tighter. Never helps story of a, a husband, we'll call him Ralph. I don't think we have any Ralphs here. He had to take the garbage out a couple days a week in the morning to the, the garbage truck. And every morning he'd be like, I hate doing this. I can't stand it. And he'd complain to his wife and he'd complain to his kids. And I just can't stand taking out the trash. I have to get up early. And he's wrapping up the, the, the bags and taking it out the front door. And the family just began to expect him to grumble about it. It's part of the routine. Dad's taking out the trash. We're going to hear about it. One morning, his wife, who was not so patient with that ritual, she blocked the front door in front of him, stamped her foot a little bit, (laughs) stared at her husband, said, I wish, I wish that just one time you'd be happy to take out the garbage because you love us. She had a point. She didn't want him to do it out of compulsion 
or threat. The attitude mattered. And so when we give to God, whether it be online, whether it be helping someone in need that we secretly give or, or, or help um, and they know about it, whether it be when the bag is passed, this is a chance to say, God, I am so excited to be part of this with you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I can't wait. Paul goes on in 8 through 11. And point number six there is God generously provides for us so that we can generously give. God generously provides for us with the purpose that we can generously give to others. There's a whole lot of things to unpack out of this. Let's, let's start reading these verses. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Did you catch all the alls? That's intentional. The Holy Spirit is directing Paul to, to make a point with these words. God is able to make all grace abound to you. We sang to that this, about that this morning. He has given you so much that we don't deserve. He has given me more than I ever could deserve. He's able to make all grace abound to you. That, that has the idea of generosity. So that having all sufficiency in all things... Because God will provide for my needs. He will give me everything that, that I need. Not necessarily everything I want, but He will meet my needs. At all times, you can just picture Him. He's just covering all the bases. So that you may abound in every good work. God provides to us so we can funnel His stuff to other people. What an amazing system God has designed here to include us in the joy. He doesn't have to funnel it through us. God's capable of providing money to any situation anytime He needs. But He chooses to do that out of grace because He loves us to allow us to be part of what He's doing. Verse 9, As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And again, another purpose statement in 11 there. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is a precious core to this passage that says God generously provides for us so we can generously give. A couple things that, that uh, we, get, we can see in this. Part of, part of giving, part of generosity and giving is, is showing a trust in God. Do I believe these promises that if I give sacrificially that He will still be able to take care of me? So bottom line, do I trust God or do I trust my bank account balance? That's hard. Paul's writing from Macedonia where they gave, he said, not only what they were able, but beyond what they were able. This poor group of churches gave to a poorer group of churches trusting that God's got their back. And then when you see God work and have your back, your faith in Him just blossoms. It's an amazing thing. And so one of the questions out of this is, do we trust God enough to give? It's a test of trust. See, when we're generous, we're placing our stuff in God's hands and using it for Him. Corey ten Boom said, I, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. 
But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Oh, what a great challenge. Another part of this is not only trusting in God, but understanding that all of this stuff, all of our possessions actually aren't ours. They actually are from God. There is nothing you have that you deserve to have. Isn't that a good, good message this morning? Wait a minute, you're putting me down. No, there's nothing you have that you own. Who gave you anything? Who gave you your job? God. Who gave you your paycheck? God. Who gave you your car? God, because He gave you... Everything on this earth is God's possession. We, we heard some of those verses this morning. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything on the planet. So you can just ask the question, is it on the planet? It's God's. That, that's, that's the bottom line here. The world and those who dwell therein, you and I are God's possessions as well. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine. This is God speaking. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. And so the picture here is when I think of stuff, I'm just temporarily borrowing it from God because it's His. So as a steward, and we call that stewardship, I am simply stewarding what He has allowed me to have for a time. And I'm going to have to answer to Him how I stewarded that. That's a little scary. But this is so freeing to realize I don't have to hold on to my things tightly because I don't have any things. That makes sense? I just have to use God's things in the best way for God's glory to accomplish His purposes. Now we're getting somewhere. And you see that just throughout this passage. God is able to make all grace abound to you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times. He's the one providing that. In verse 9, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. In verse 10, Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply for you. God generously provides for us so we can generously give and simply steward what He has given us. Give your children an example of generosity, of stewardship. Of, of, of saying, this is all God's possession. How can we use it for Him? Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I like that. See, wisdom saves to give and greed gives to get. We need to be a generous people. Number seven there on the nuts and bolts. We need to let our giving imitate God's character. Let our giving imitate God's character. And some of these these verses um, we've read, we have eight and nine, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work. What a beautiful statement of God's generosity. Do you know God is generous? His character is generous. He wants to bless us. We see that again in in the end of it. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And so when we give, we're simply matching our Creator. We're, we're, We're imitating Him. 
Let me just read some verses to you about ways God is generous. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And so we see God's generosity with His grace, with His salvation, His generosity in providing His Son as a sacrifice. His Son that when we couldn't handle our sins, when we can't pay the the price for our sins because death is the only price, He sent His Son generously to die on the cross and take the burden the weight of our sin, the punishment for our sin, the wrath of God in our place. That's generous. Generous grace. Titus 2, 5-6, through 6, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, we can't earn it, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God is generous by giving us the Holy Spirit and dwelling us by giving us salvation. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And so God gives us wisdom generously. God is a generous God. By giving, we match him. We, we, we imitate him. We come closer to his character. Be generous. Be generous with each other. Be generous to fulfill needs. In 10 through 15, Paul now moves to a number of, of results of giving. And these are just, just fun. What does, it, what does it accomplish when we give? Because like I said, it, it's not just about keeping the lights on. It's about so much more that God wants to do in our hearts and in the hearts around us. And so starting at verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And the first result we see of giving is that our giving results in thanksgiving to God, in us and in others. It results in thanksgiving to God, in us and in others. As I give, I'm thanking God for what He's done. It's an act of thanksgiving. It's why we include it in our worship. It's an act of worship. But in verse 12, Paul goes on and says, For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. That's not just me anymore. When I give to God's work, I am causing someone else to give thanksgiving to God. Because they're going to be blessed by that ministry. When I help someone in need, a brother or sister in need, and, and that just overflows into thanksgiving to God. And so I'm helping people walk with God. By giving. Verse 12, we see another one. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Number three there is sort of the obvious one, but it needs to be said. Our giving supplies the needs of others. Your giving, my giving, supplies the needs of others. It's not just a meaningless task to empty our bank accounts of something. 
or to give some money away. We're actually helping and making a difference in other people's lives as we meet their needs. Paul said that in chapter 8, verse 14. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. This comes back to God allowing us to participate in His work. Every time we give to see the reason as helping each other, as meeting needs. Now, some of this, if, if we're to really understand this and really to, to see, uh, become generous meters of needs, we need to open our eyes sometimes. We need to be looking around for needs. I can't know all of the needs in this room. I will never be able to know all of the needs in this room. And that's awesome because God has created a body, a family, to know each other's needs. And so you don't have to go through the church to meet someone's needs. This is the freeing statement of the day. If you hear of a need in the church, just go meet it. If you're able, go meet it. That's what the early church was like. What if that was our attitude to where we're looking, how can I help you? How can I meet your needs? What do you need? Whether that's money, whether that's groceries, whether that's a ride somewhere, how are we helping each other? We need to be generous people more than just with our money, but with our love for each other, our care for each other. Paul reminds them, you're meeting needs. It's doing more than that, but you're meeting needs. Fourth thing in verse 13, our giving glorifies God by showing the genuineness of our surrender to God. Let me repeat that. Our giving glorifies God. It brings glory to Him by showing the genuineness of our surrender to God. In verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And Paul's, Paul's expanding their, their heads a little bit of what's going on here. He says, by their approval or by their testing of your service, as they get your service and as their needs are met, they will glorify God. God will be glorified because of your submission, because of your surrender. Because you were willing to say, my stuff isn't mine, and I'm going to have an open hand, and find ways to help other people that causes glory to God. Isn't that cool? Money can bring glory to God if it's used in the right way. And Paul's reminding them of this. He's not trying to hammer them into giving, but he's trying to help their hearts for them to say, oh man, when I'm able to help somebody, that helps them glorify God. Last one in verse 14 that I want to mention. Verse 14 says, While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And so Paul here is is talking about the relationship between them and the church in Jerusalem. And, And yes, they're bringing glory to God and the generosity of the contribution for them and for all others. But then 14, While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. The NIV translates that their hearts will go out to you. And so that last point is our giving connects us with other believers. Our giving connects us with other believers. It's a statement of unity. If you're sitting in the church in Jerusalem and you've been told you can't buy anything at the market because you're a professed Christian and you go to the cupboard 
and you open it up and there is nothing left and your kids are saying, Mommy, Daddy, I'm hungry. And there comes a knock on the door and Paul and his friends come in and say, You know what? We have some supplies for you. This is from the church at Corinth, from the churches at Macedonia. They want to take care of you. What does that do for your heart if you're in Jerusalem? It connects you, doesn't it? A simple act of generosity and care of noticing a need and meeting a need starts to help us love others. We've talked about loving God and loving others. And loving God we give because of His grace. But as we meet needs, we are loving others. And that action is a bond that brings us together. And Paul mentions that in 14. While, while they long for you and pray for you, they, they give it back in prayer and concern for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Our giving isn't just a way to lighten our wallets. It's a way to bring thanksgiving to God in our hearts, in the hearts of others. It's a way to provide for the physical needs of others. It's a way that brings glory to God and helps others glorify God. It's a way that brings us together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that bonds us together when we're willing to sacrifice to help each other oh that we are a church that sacrifices to help each other that's God's heart for us it's my heart for village I want to end with three kinds of givers someone said there's three kinds of givers the flint the sponge and the honeycomb so what do you want to be this morning I need to describe them huh to get anything out of a flint, what do you have to do? You've got to hammer it. And even then, when you're hammering flint, you get some sparks, but you get some sharp chards. And, and so th- there's that kind of giver. The sponge, what do you have to do to get anything out of it? You've got to squeeze it. Yeah, that, that would be you know, you, just someone squeezing you to give more and more and more in that pressure. The honeycomb, we had a, a neighbor that raised bees, and they'd pull out the honeycomb, and what would just happen? It'd be just dripping with honey. It'd be just overflowing with honey. That's the kind of giver we need to be. Just full of God's honey, His grace, and it's just overflowing on people around us and everyone around us. Let's pray. Lord God, work on our hearts. Work on my heart, Lord. If there are areas where I am still tight-fisted and holding on to my stuff and my money, and not allowing you to use it. Lord, I pray that this week you would stomp in those areas and reveal those to me and every one of us in this room. Reveal areas where we are stingy and tight-fisted and help us to be a generous people for you. Help us to trust you with our money and that you can provide. Help us to worship you by giving you our first fruits of anything that comes in, Lord. To say, thank you, God. This is all yours. Help us to be stewards of your money, of your resources, of the time you've given us. Help us to be people of the King that are using everything we have for the King. Thank you for your word, God, as challenging as it is, as as much as it steps on our toes. Thank you for helping us be more Christ-like. In Jesus' name, amen.